Hello, friends. Sadly, this is the last episode of Food Savers in our short pilot season. No! <laughs> it's been fun. Should we do it again? Yes, ma'am. I think we might be podcasters. <laughs> Let's ask the listeners. Should we do another season? Tell us what you think. Send us an email or a message on Instagram or Facebook. But for now, we have a cracker of a show coming up. It's funny that that's cracker. Um, featuring the wonderful writer and broadcaster, Alice Zavlaski. Welcome to Food Savers, Episode 3, Future Kitchens. I'm Alex Elliott-Howry. And I'm Jamie Edwards. So we have rather boldly titled this final episode. Final for now. Yes, for now. Future Kitchens. So what are the ways in which the kitchen can become a space that is going to positively impact the future? For me, part of it is about making the kitchen a place of environmental activism. I agree. But that's going to look different for different people, right? And do you remember when we first started this shall I say journey, how insane we were when we were trying to do everything perfectly sustainably. Yeah, it was pretty hectic and really not sustainable in terms of mental health. No, I think we actually almost broke. Do you remember how intensive it was? Yeah. I'm going to remind you, Jamie, of our early tomato days. Not nearly as romantic as... You might might think. So Jamie and I decided that canned tomatoes were the thing that was wrecking the environment. Single-handedly. And we were obsessed, completely obsessed that there was not going to be a canned tomato in our houses ever again. Unless they were made by us. Unless they were made by us. Because when you have very small children, all you eat is things that have canned tomatoes in it. Yes. Like spaghetti bolognese. Deep in the spaghetti bolognese years. The heart of the household (laughs) is a can of tomatoes. (laughs) So they're off the menu. Jamie and I still need them. So we decide we're going to make them ourselves. So how did that downfold? Well, instead (laughs) instead of being a sensible pair, Mm. we, and just like teaching ourselves maybe getting a kilo of tomatoes and making one or two jars. Having a go. Having a go. We got all dressed up. In our, what, preserving outfits? I feel like there was overalls and red lipsticks and kerchiefs involved. (laughs) And drove out to Flemington Markets with four small children under five. (laughs) For the parents out there, you know what we're saying already. We went to Flemington Markets. We got so excited that instead of buying a box of tomatoes, we bought ten boxes of tomatoes. That equals a 100 kilos of tomatoes. For two women that had never bottled a tomato before in their lives. Go in. Go right in deep. We went back to Jamie's tiny, tiny apartment in Piemont, carpeted, with four small children under five, and started to panic, I guess. Yeah, and boil water. <laughs> and boil water. <laughs> that's, that's, I don't know, we start here. <laughs> I think the kids probably watched about 15 hours of television, yeah. undisturbed. Yeah. They'd never seen that much screen yeah, so in their lives. It was the best day of their lives. We then proceeded to start skinning tomatoes, boiling things, jars were in the oven. I'm going to say it took 20 hours, mm. maybe. Mm. There was tomatoes dripping down your yeah. walls. We had a fight. We had a fight. We made up. We made up. I think we started drinking at some point. Got a bit drunk, got sober. <laughs> like everything happened yeah. in that time. But also what happened in that time was that we successfully managed to bottle. I'm going to say it wasn't 100 kilos because I feel like I ended up giving a couple of boxes away 
because I was just getting the shits. But a shitload of tomatoes. And two families then had enough canned tomatoes to get through winter. Without buying one can of tomatoes at the supermarket. Or one shitty tomato that has no flavour or, you know, one insipid tomato that has no flavour or has no colour. Yeah. And that is when I understood preserving. And that's when I understood from scratch cooking. And that's when I understood that there is ways that you can get involved to make changes in your kitchen. And the kitchen is a very, very powerful space. I will never, ever do that again on that scale. And we don't advise anyone ever to do that (laughs) because it was a a traumatising day. There's still a bit of PTSD. But every year since then, you and I have gotten together to bottle tomatoes in some, you know, sometimes it's five, sometimes it's 500. But what that does for us is I think it resets a reminder about why we do what we do, a reminder how delicious something that is homemade is comparatively to a canned tomato and that uh, feeling of when you open your pantry, which is full of canned tomatoes, and use that canned tomato, I'm going to say is the best feeling in the world. I like this idea that the kitchen is the centre of the home. You know, historically it's the place where the hearth was. It's the warm centre of a house. And even if you live in a tiny little flat like I do, it is the centre of communication, of learning, enjoyment, conviviality, um, and it's where resourcefulness happens. It's um, everything a house needs to function really is starts in the kitchen. So I guess our advice is simple. Choose what you enjoy, choose what's important to you or just what you can manage. But what you do have to do is something. We all have to do our part in this. Exactly, because what happens in the kitchen can impact the environment positively or negatively. But I guess the answer to a lot of the challenges of climate is going to be communities working together, whether that's a really small scale or a much bigger scale as well. Mm. Speaking of community, should we invite our fellow food enthusiast in for a chat about her kitchen? Yes, please. I can't wait. Alice hardly needs an introduction. As one of Australia's best-loved public foodies, she is a regular on ABC radio and television. She writes a column for The Australian and her best-selling second book, In Praise of Veg, won many, many awards and became an instant classic. Her third book, The Joy of Better Cooking, has us all breathlessly waiting publication date. Welcome, Alice. Oh, what an intro. Public foodie. That makes it sound like there's lots of secret foodies. (laughs) Private foodies. I was like a public intellectual. Public foodie is actually what you are. That's good. That's good. Save the intellect for for No, no, definitely a public intellectual, but like both. (laughs) The thinking foodie. Alice. That's the thinker's foodie. Hello. Hi. G'day. Jamie and I have been talking about future kitchens and we're wondering what your philosophy is when it comes to running your your home kitchen, not your work kitchen. 
My, uh, you know, it's changed over time. So I have got a three and a half year old and that's changed the shape of our kitchen (laughs) Mm. (laughs) because it's about finding spaces to include every member of the family. So, um, you know, in my mind, a future kitchen would have steps or, you know, some sort of um, considerations. I've actually created spaces like down on the floor so that she can pod broad beans um, because uh, or um, get her up on the bench to just watch. Then she knows that the only time when she needs to be really careful is when things are hot, hot or sharp, sharp. So your philosophy is bringing everyone who lives in the household into the kitchen with you. Yes, yes, which I know is hard because as we kind of uh, shrink our living spaces and as some apartments are built sans kitchen entirely. I know, isn't that just completely shocking when I heard that? It is mind-boggling. But I guess that's the thing because in our minds, in our lived experience, being sans kitchen would be uh, like being sans bedroom Yeah, (laughs) because it's just such a way of life. But I can understand if people are growing up not cooking and they're outsourcing the the notion of who makes their food, then why would they need a kitchen? So why is it important to you to bring your daughter into the kitchen with you? Like what do you think, what's she getting out of that? What are you getting out of that? Well, number one, so that she doesn't grow up thinking who needs a kitchen. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Number two, because it actually makes my job much easier on multiple levels. Uh, To me, teaching your kids to cook uh, is not just about giving them life skills. It's also about giving them a safe place to fail. Um, She can see that actually if something falls out of the pot, you can pick it back up, put it back in the pot or (laughs) whatever it is. Um, and, uh, And I think that it kind of... It builds a, a connection between us that is so multisensory and enduring. And I know, you know, Nigella Lawson writes about how when she makes her mother's praise chicken, she always thinks of the aromas and the, the memories of making it with her. And I want to leave that legacy for my child. I think that is something that um, I try and do as well. Uh, I don't know, you do as well, Alex. Um, in our kitchens, and I think it's part of one of the enduring uh, motivations for us as cooks, um, but we are facing people being more and more detached from their their sources of food and that sense of legacy. And, you know, Uber Eats is a lot to deal with. How can we get people back into this idea that cooking from scratch is something to return to and something for the future? Well, I really like uh, your philosophy, actually, that you've moved closer and closer to the notion of cooking from scratch when you can, but also finding shortcuts when you can. So it's actually just as much as it's about bringing everybody into the kitchen, it's about making everybody feel like wherever they are on the spectrum, Mm. they belong. So sure, if it's jar sauce that gets you there, um, that's okay. And now let's learn to make our own jar sauce. <laughs> or, yeah. you know, if if you get takeaway one night a week because that's your treat, don't feel guilty yeah. about that, you know. That's your time. And then the rest of the week, guess what? Cost of living, hip pocket, it costs less. People are very price-driven when it comes to food. So uh, teaching them some basic dishes that don't cost them the earth but taste delicious will hopefully change some habits. So, Alice, I feel like... It's um, 
great getting kids in the kitchen, but I we teach a lot of adults cooking classes as well. And we find it people are not just kids are at a bit of a loss of not only just how to cook like they're not feeling confident with their skills but also on top of that then having to bring sustainability into the kitchen so i guess what i'm trying to figure out is how do we teach our listeners and our readers of our cookbooks how to be sustainable in the kitchen but it not just feel like it's another bloody thing they've got to do at the end of a already big busy day Yes, uh, I think that's actually what was the challenge that I set myself with the new book, with with Joy, is um, I wanted to make everybody feel like no matter where they were starting from, they were it was okay. And that if you are kind of finding those little wins of repurposing a dish or using every part of something, using it all, one might say, uh, <laughs> then that's a real win in the kitchen It's um, and it's something... That's flying hours, you know. The more that you do it, the better you get at it. Alice, can I jump in and ask what your, well, it doesn't have to be a waste hack, favourite thing that you're cooking at the moment is or favourite waste hack? Favourite waste hack, um, I'm leaning into, well, okay, now I've got a question for you. So number one, I'm leaning into frozen vegetables so much. Yeah, um, me too. And that's a really, you know, that's a really good way of sort of not committing too deeply. So you say, oh, well, you know, I've I've run out of all the things in the crisper, which is another thing that I like to do. That makes me feel like a real winner. And then I say, holy moly, I've got no veg left. And then I go into my freezer and I've got spinach, corn, peas, broad beans, and they all go into the dish. And suddenly that's like five vegetables between the onion of six and the garlic and then all that other stuff. Easy. I'm really glad you said that, Alice, because I think people are afraid to buy frozen vegetables. So I think it's really good to promote that that's a totally fine thing to do. Mm. Yay! And I want to know what you do with the blister skin of the broad beans. Oh, Jamie, take it away. This is your big moment. (laughs) (laughs) I make wine. Um, I, from all the, um, scraps, broad beans, shelling scraps, I make a peasling. Oh, my God. I Alice, need to you know have to, more you information. have to come up and we have to have a glass of it together. Uh, it's amazing. It actually is. Oh. <laughs> it is. I'm surprised it's not a Bordeaux. <laughs> Damn. <laughs> That's the next one that I'll be cellaring. <laughs> so that is it. I am, I'm, I've got big armfuls of all the um, broad bean scraps and I ferment them, <laughs> strain them and oak them. <laughs> How do they taste? How does it this taste? It's delicious. It's, yeah, wow. it's really delicious, Alice. I'm not joking. We're going to go around to Jamie's and have a glass next time you're in town. You're on. Speaking of waste tax, how would you feel, Alice, about staying on the line and helping us answer some call-ins? Oh, my goodness. I, it would be an honour. Okay. Can't <laughs> wait. We've got a burning question. Okay. Hi, Alex and Jamie. My name is Judy. I'm a high school music teacher and I was hoping that you could help me with this problem I seem to have created with some carrots. I came up with a great project for my year seven class, which involved them making a slide whistle as part of their study of the instruments of music. There was a great YouTube clip that showed us how to drill a hole down the centre of the carrot, cut bits out to make sound holes, and then use a sharp knife to decorate and personalise our virtuosic slide whistles. My problem is this. 
I now have a whole class of carrot offcuts and wilting carrot slide whistles. Do you have any suggestions about what to do with all these weird bits of leftover limp carrots? Please help. Thanks, Judy. Uh, as what a is teacher, this what is that? Are you imagining the limp whistles? Is that what you're... The limp carrot whistles. I just think the whole thing is so good. That's hilarious. So, all yours, Alice, take it away. Uh, from one teacher to yeah. another. Yeah. Um, well, I, uh, the first thing that comes to mind is um, I would roast the shiitake out of them because, remember, there's, they've been fondled by year sevens. Okay. <laughs> yes. We need to, we need to hit them with it with some heat so I'd roast it all and then um, I would blitz up all of those carrots you know all the roasted softened sweet carrots into like a carrot soup with some stock but I wouldn't do it myself I would actually turn it into a class and get all of the kids involved as well uh, even if you don't have an oven you know a lot of schools don't have kitchens anymore so uh, even you know get the kids to help you with the prep and then say I'm taking this home and tomorrow you know each of you get to go home with a container or whatever it is I just think that's a good way of not just getting to use it all for yourself but reinforcing that lesson for the kids too. Full circle. And it is really good. I just want to put a reminder out there that things like roasting and braising old saggy vegetables they hide all the aesthetic oh. issues all right alice how much do we love judy we <laughs> love, love judy <laughs> awesome alice you are a legend as oh. always oh. feelings mutual love talking thank to you, you so much and thank um, you public waste warriors <laughs> <laughs> and we're very excited about your new book I'm definitely going to be using that one. So everyone, please keep an eye out for it. We'll see you soon, Alice. Thank you. <laughs> Thanks, Thanks, Alice. Cheerio. Bye. When Jamie and I wrote The Food Savers A to Z, which, by the way, is available now, we wanted to explain that this way of cooking is a step towards the future of cooking and kitchens. We included as many practical tips to arm you in the kitchen as we could to make it easier to prepare meals with what you already have and in turn make you a much more resilient kind of cook. Mm, so if an ingredient isn't available or it's too expensive or you just don't have it at all, there's no drama because you can draw on some knowledge, swap something out and still get dinner on the table. So a good example of the way that we cook is our so-called two-minute noodle hack. And it is like the hack of the century. <laughs> I'm just going to say, though, it doesn't actually take two minutes. <laughs> well, it kind of does. It depends on what end of the process you're looking at. If you just want to focus on the last two minutes, it does. And with teenagers in the house, like two-minute noodles suddenly, I didn't even know what two-minute noodles were until I had teenagers. I know, and they're obsessed with they them. They are. And I have to admit that there are many weeks where I do buy them. Yeah, because they're awesome. Because yeah. they, <laughs> they take two take minutes. two minutes. So this is our version of it, and it's a way of also looking at using up what's in your fridge, mm -hmm. but to get very quick meals on the table. So stock is a really, really important ingredient. If there's one thing almost you're going to do once a week, make a, make, make a tasty stock. But can I just say that doesn't have to be like four-day bone broth? No. With organic bones? Yes, very good point. No, so, really. Yeah, this is, yeah. So we're more into the cheats version. Scrappy Tom. Sure, Scrappy Tom. But I use up 
all the bits and pieces from the fridge mm-hmm. to make very delicious stocks. But what I want you to avoid is just chucking all your vegetables into water and boiling them because that is not a delicious yes. stock. Nope. Like nope. boiled vegetables are never going to give you good flavour. Yeah. So I'm going to talk you through a few options depending on what's in your fridge and what's in season. Mushroom stock is one of my very, very favourites, and you know I make that for you all the time. It's delicious. And you lick it up. Yes. So basically what I do often is that I buy mushrooms that actually everyone in my house hates mushrooms. Yeah. So they get dry and they stay in the bag and they, like, basically dehydrate themselves. Or on the other end of the scale, they're just completely slimy. I am going to pot those into a roasting tray with some oil and some salt and, like, one or two onions chopped up Mm -hmm. with the skin on. Buy brown onions, they're cheap, leave the skin on. Once they've been roasted until they're nice and full of flavour and a little bit caramelised, transport them to a stock pot, Mm -hmm. just cover them with water. Really good point. Cannot, like, overstate that enough. Do not drown whatever you're trying to turn into stock. It's just covered. We let that simmer. Sometimes I add ginger if I have it. Sometimes I'll add garlic. Sometimes I'll add herbs. Sometimes I will add parmesan rinds. Oh, tell me about the parmesan rinds. Well, it's just getting more flavour in there. So it's basically just like putting umami or kind of MSG vibes. So you save up all your parmesan rinds. Yeah, I store them in the freezer and I just pop them in for things like that. It's so cool. I am so cool. Sometimes I put in dried tomatoes Mm. or even I roast tomatoes in there as well. And what I'm doing is all those flavours go together. So this is not going to be cabbage water. Mm. This is going to be really brown, really full of flavour and really delicious. I then strain it. I store it in a container in my fridge and I write two-minute noodle stock, broth, whatever, ramen juice, whatever my kids are into at that moment, that's in the fridge. Next to that container, I will cook some noodles or cook some pasta or cook some rice and I say, add, and I write on it, add this to the ramen juice, whatever, add this to the stock in the hopes that my children could manage to put some noodles in a bowl, pour the stock on top and heat it up in the microwave. They actually can do all of those things. Sometimes. And if they come, if you enter the story at this point... (laughs) It is a two-minute noodle. What I'd also like to say is when they don't do it, I gobble it up and I add lots of kimchi or a big handful of spinach or whatever I have lying around, shave in some fennel, and I get dinner on the table really quickly as well. And in a sustainable kitchen, you are making – there's a big on impact in terms of – if you are thinking about – you know, quick, easy meal fixes, like you have reduced packaging, you have, you've saved money because you're using what you already have. It's like, so the the impact is quite big as well. And what I guess I just want to reinstate one more time is that you don't need to tick all the boxes Mm, with mm. sustainability. One change is often enough and make that one change a significant Mm, change. You don't have to be a goody two shoes about everything. No, you do not. But lots of us making little bits of difference accumulates into a whole lot of difference and I think that's what we need to focus on. Agreed. I think that is um, lightens the load but also means that we all, we all carry the load together. And we can become powerful. Yeah. this is over thank you for joining us in our first foray into podcasting we hope we have brought some wisdom and laughter to what can be a bit of a dry topic with food waste 
And what a big old dry topic it is. <laughs> I think we actually only explored the tip of the iceberg. Lettuce. <laughs> Get it? Yeah, got it. Also a very expensive tip of the iceberg at the lettuce at the moment. We have more to cover and we really want to answer more call-ins. So leave us a review if you want to hear more. Follow us at Cornersmith for upcoming news and don't forget to buy our new book, The Food Savers A to Z. A big thanks to our publisher, Murdoch Books, for supporting us on this adventure. We can't wait to talk to you all again soon. Food Savers is hosted, produced and written by me, Alex Elliott-Howry. And me, Jamie Edwards. Nicola Harvey is the co-producer. Paul Reeves is our sound engineer. Thanks to Mighty Sound Studios and all the team at Cornersmith. Food Savers was made with support from Murdoch Books. Hold up. 